That's because the state of Michigan is shaped like a like a hand mitten. Hand mitten? That's not a thing. A mitten. <laughs> Mittens are just taper hands. An know. oven glove. What? Oven mitt. Hand sock. Speaking of puppets. Hello and welcome to another episode of Wolf Disney. My name is Sarah. And I'm Natalie. And we are two sisters who are slowly making our way through the Disney catalog, experiencing many of these movies for the very first time and annoying people a little bit every week by our lack of knowledge. Today's episode is The Reluctant Dragon, which is a favorite of many, I'm sure. Yes. It's only an hour long. So if you wanted to, you could pause this right now as long as you come back and go watch it. But we are going to do a little bit of a different structure today, knowing that we are probably in the minority this time of being people who have seen it. Um, Whereas for most of our episodes, or all of our episodes so far, they've been very common Disney movies that the world has more knowledge of than we do. Um, So this time we're kind of the experts teaching you all about uh culture and disney culture mm-hmm. um so we're recording these episodes right now two weeks ahead of when things come out so because of that delay um this is one of the first episodes we have recorded where we have people listening to our podcast to previous episodes which means we've also gotten some feedback and questions and fun facts from um so far friends and family but if you're a stranger, don't be a stranger and email us at wolfdisneypodcast at gmail.com. W O L F D I S N E Y P O D C A S T at G M A I L dot C O M. Wow, you spelled everything out. Yep. Okay. So one of our emails came from our Uncle Jerry, who was listening to our Snow White episode. And he sent us an email and told us that we, were, we had a long discussion about Marge Champion, who is the model for Snow White. Um, and he told us that she is actually a Presbyterian. Um, just a reminder, I am a Presbyterian minister. My sister is in seminary to possibly become a Presbyterian minister. She's giving me a weird face. I don't know. I don't want to put that pressure on you. You can be whatever you want to be, except for King. Um, and that she was Presbyterian and she and her husband Gower were famous dancers and later choreographers for stage and screen. And they were both members at Bel Air Presbyterian Church um, in California. Um, and Marge is still alive. And so I'm assuming that Uncle Jerry has sent her our podcast mm-hmm. and that she is listening. So Marge, if you're listening, we love you. Yay. Our second correspondence comes from um, Lucas Jones, here's the body of the email. Hello, comma, Wolf Sisters, comma. (laughs) Recently on your podcast, you claimed that Lucas Jones, I'm going to say his whole name, I guess. Lucas Jones took a class called Puppetry Arts in Middle School. I would like to correct you. This class was called Puppets with a Purpose, taken at Leroy Martin Magnet Middle School in 2007. Please offer a public correction. So this is our editor coming in to correct our Pinocchio episode. Um, Lucas was not in a puppetry arts class. His elective was called Puppets with a Purpose. 
We're so. sorry, Lucas. We did not make that uh, mistake on purpose. Like your puppets. Hey, oh. Yes. And while we're talking about our listeners, we are able to see every week um, what parts of the world our listeners are, are in. And it breaks it down by state for our listeners in the United States. And we would just like to say that the state of Michigan is like number four, I think, in the list of states who listen to us. Like top uh, top four. Yeah. Um, like after Georgia, after Virginia, after North, after North Carolina, the three states that um, Sarah and I claim simultaneously kind of as home. Um, and I'd say our fourth state we claim as home is Ohio, where yeah. our Ohio family lives. Um, really, really confused, guys. So I don't know if this is a prank. I don't know what's happening. Well, actually, the part of Ohio that our family lives in is pretty close to Michigan. So maybe they are driving in their car mm-hmm. to listen, like, past the Michigan-Ohio state line. That's the only explanation I can come up with for why yeah. Michigan is beating Ohio at this point. Well, in that case, y'all need to be staying at home for quarantine. Stop Good point, Michigan. Natalie. So, yeah, a little challenge to you all. Y'all. To y'all, because maybe y'all root for the Spartans whenever football comes back. Wolverines, Natalie. I wasn't going to go that deep. <laughs> That's, fair. State. That's fair. Yeah. That, that will divide a, a family. But also, thank you, our Michigan listeners. You can still stay. Yeah. Yes, Michigan listeners. Thank you. We really appreciate seeing that weird-looking mitten get darker and darker each week. All right. So this week's uh, movie is The Reluctant Dragon. And so we thought um, for our icebreaker this week, we would take a look you know, breathe deep and reflect on our week. And if Disney were to make a movie about you, Natalie, um, Mm -hmm. and you were a dragon, what would be the adjective in front of your name this week? The blank dragon. Um, we'll give up a list here. Um, list. There's a list of adjectives. Like on the internet. Yeah. There's lots of lists of adjectives. I was Natalie dragon. The assiduous dragon. That's a type of tree. Uh-uh. Assiduous. Assiduous. You could say, I had I had a full plate. I had many fish to fry. I had many irons in the fire. I was with a customer. <laughs> Those are synonyms. I was swamped. I was with a customer? Why were you swamped this week? Uh, I just took a lot of exams and wrote. Papers on papers on papers. All in English? Um, some and a little bit of Hebrew. Just your typical week during quarantine. Yeah. So what dragon were you this week? I was Sarah Wolf, the mercurial dragon. And mercurial means, this is from dictionary.com, um, subject to sudden or unpredictable changes of mood or mind. Mm. So in the middle of a pandemic, uh, I've also really, really, really realized that my moods are based on what the weather is like during this pandemic. So I'm definitely having a lot better days when it's sunny out. And then we had a bunch of gray days this week and I went to some dark places in my mind. Um, so I feel like I've had ups and downs every day. Yeah, well, lots of good self-discovery happening in this pandemic. Uh, maybe a little bit too much. Um, typically we kind of just go through take by take 
as we like go along with the plot together. Um, but I think it might be helpful before we do any kind of history or fun facts to give the listeners just a three minute explanation of what happens in this movie. So the movie opens with um, the opening credits, which is a great place to start. And, um, but at the very end of the opening credits, there's a screen that says, the, this picture is made in answer to the many requests to show the backstage life of animated cartoons. Then it says, P.S. Any resemblance to a regular motion picture is purely coincidental. So the purpose behind the Reluctant Dragon is kind of to give people a backstage glimpse of what was happening at Disney Studios as they thought through um, putting a movie together from like the opening storyboard of like, what's the story plot going to be? What are the characters going to look like? How do we draw them? What colors do we use? Um, What sounds do we use? And so they do that by showing us this man who wants to pitch a book to Disney. And so he goes to the studio and he gets lost kind of slash like runs away from his tour guide. Um, And then goes to all these different um, areas on the studio lot and learning about, he learns about all the different things that go into putting a movie together. And in the process, you get to see all these little shorts of like, goofy riding a horse and that shows you how animation a certain kind of animation works you see like all of the work that goes into all these movies and you see some of it happening simultaneously so in some scenes you'll see art for Fantasia and um Bambi and Dumbo and Snow White I think yeah we saw some Snow White stuff uh, or at least we heard the music for it um and so it was cool it was cool to show I think I think if I were somebody that was watching this in 1941, I would find it fascinating, especially when you think of how big Disney had exploded at this point, because this is after Snow White, Pinocchio, and Fantasia. Um, there's Disney's really established itself as a movie-making empire, and so probably there's there were a lot of questions. I, sh- I feel like I should also say that the movie title comes from the title of the story that the man is trying to get made into a movie. So he reads... The Reluctant Dragon as a children's book, and then he decides, somebody decides for him that he should go make, get a movie made of it. So he's like walking around the studio lot with um, the Reluctant Dragon children's book, trying to get that made into a movie. I read some fun fact that uh, a large, a large part of the first day of shooting for it, um, because it is actually happening, like it's not a set, it's happening where they do all the animation and movie creating, and apparently a lot of the first day of filming was ruined because there were employees in the lot who had never seen a movie being made. And so they would go up the windows and like peek in to watch the movie of them creating stuff be made. That has a what meta means. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so you could like see them in the background and so they had to... That's kind of neat. Yeah. <laughs> so... Rugged and Dragon came out in 1941, um, which is also the same time when the Disney animators were having a strike. Whoa. Yeah. So in 1938, the Screen Cartoonist Guild was formed. And by 1941, the year that The Reluctant Dragon came out, um, all major cartoon studios had signed contracts with the Guild except for Disney. Um, and you can find some like pretty harsh quotes that people have of him giving speeches to the employees. Um, and so there's like, I found a few quotes that I'm, I didn't bother to even copy down because they're just bad things to say employees of like. That Disney was saying to Yeah, it's kind of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. Um, so at the time of the release of the movie, 
um, the Disney animators were going on strike. And so that definitely would have complicated things of, you know, deciding to go see the movie versus um, backing up the animators. Um, and so it sounds like the industry was split on um, going to the premiere versus um, standing behind the picket line with them. Um, and it's just, it's just uncomfortable to think about because the movie is boasting how great it is to be an animator at Disney. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awkward. So as Sarah said, the Reluctant Dragon title comes from the children's book, The Reluctant Dragon, um, which is written by Kenneth Graham, who also wrote The Wind in the Willows. Oh, yeah. that's a favorite book of yours, right? Yeah. You and dad wrote it together? Yeah. Didn't invite me into any of those story time sessions, but it's fine. Um, the first maybe 25% of the movie, maybe, is in black and white. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the rooms they enter is the Technicolor room. And so suddenly, it's like before that, the humans are in black and white, and so is the animated short they show at that point in the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But then suddenly he enters this room and everything's in color. Um, and even, like recognize he like looks into the camera and um acknowledges that his tie is a color suddenly and things like that um fantasia snow white and pinocchio all used technicolor so technicolor is also for cartoons yeah it is um actually disney for a while i'm not sure what years but it, maybe it was during this time too um had the like exclusive rights to the newest form of technicolor um and so that would not shock me if it was during this time and that's why that was a room was technicolor um was a technique that only their studio could use whereas the other ones were yeah. using um just like a lower quality version of technicolor here's my technicolor quote the wizard of oz did use technicolor um and one of i guess the downfalls of technicolor is that uh for the technology you need to have more lights on the studio than you would for black and white and so it is reported that temperatures on the film set of the wizard of oz from the hot studio lights frequently exceeded 100 degrees fahrenheit that's 38 degrees celsius for international listeners hey we see you philippines and turkey and some of the more heavily costumed characters required a large water intake um, some actors have claimed to have suffered permanent eye damage from the high levels of illumination while filming The Wizard of Oz. Wow. So, yeah. And that's the riveting history. Uh, <laughs> Technicolor. Reluctant, yeah. Technicolor, Reluctant Dragon. Okay, well, I have some more history. Okay. So, okay. what did you research this week? So, the movie opens with this man who is a grown man, like, in his 50s. Um, maybe 60s. I don't know. It's hard to tell because it was not in Technicolor right then. Um, it's hard to tell how old he is, but he is in a pool float device and is playing like with a, some kind of toy gun that shoots arrows at ducks in the pool, like duck decoys. And a woman is reading to him from a children's book. And then you find out that that woman is his wife. Yeah. I thought that I was like, okay, this is some kind of man child and she is his mother, his babysitter. I could not figure out their relation. And then when I found out they were married, I was like kind of done with this guy. I was like, I, <laughs> I don't understand why who you are 
yeah. um, or why you get to act like this. Um, and, but then when he goes to the studio, people know him. Like they're like, Oh, it's Mr. Mr. Benchley. Oh, Hey, it's yeah. Robert Benchley, Bob Benchley, that kind of stuff. I was like, okay, well he must've been somebody that was, was known outside of this Disney movie. Yeah. So I did my research on Robert Benchley and by the end of it, I really, really like him. And like, oh. I really like him and, and, and actually having done that research and then watching the movie, there is one scene in particular that you're like, I understand this scene so much better now. So Robert Benchley is a real person. He plays himself on the movie. Um, he is an American humorist, columnist, and actor. Um, he died four years after this movie came out. Um, he had um, a long battle with uh, with alcoholism and died from cirrhosis of the liver. Um, so I'm gonna, you know, start my history <laughs> with his death apparently. Yeah. Um, but anyways, he was, um, you know, born to a normal kind of family. His brother was 13 years older than him. And his brother died at the Battle of San Juan Hill in Cuba. His brother died on July 1st, and they found out on July 4th at a July 4th picnic. Like, wow. this war person representative, I don't know, rode up on a bicycle and found them at a picnic um, and gave them the telegram. And when their mother found out that her oldest had died, she cried out, why couldn't it have been Robert? Oh, my gosh. Robert was standing next to her and he was nine years old. That's not great. Yeah. But she, and afterwards she, she apologized and said, um, that was a really weak moment. (laughs) Um, which, you know, like when people are are in grief, they say kind of ridiculous things. Sometimes they don't say really what they mean. Um, but this does contribute to Robert Benchley for, from then on has a very pacifist view um, of war and um, like foreign relations. So his brother dies and his brother was engaged at the time and his brother's fiance takes an interest in Robert and just like, not like a romantic interest because he was like, I didn't think about the age thing. Yeah. Okay. So just like a, um, I feel like it was kind of like a, here's a tie that I still have to this family. Um, and so she, and she's wealthy. So she helps pay for him to go to school. So he has this great sense of humor and his high school senior thesis was titled how to embalm a corpse. So when I read that, I was like, I really like this guy <laughs> as a former teacher. I love when, um, students are kind of sarcastic like that. Like it was just like, ah, oh, yeah, this is fun. This is fun to read. Um, so then he goes to Harvard for undergrad. Um, this led me into a very deep dive into Harvard extracurriculars, like Hasty Pudding, which is the name of a um, an acting troupe from Harvard that's been around since like the 1700s. Wow. Um, yeah, a singing group called the Crocodillos. Um, and the Institute of 1770. So he was very involved in like theatrics and some music stuff. Um, he wrote a senior thesis for Harvard, uh, and it's kind of similar to the How to Embalm a Corpse. It is a treatise on the U.S. Canadian fisheries dispute. So there was a dispute between the U.S. and Canadian fisheries, but he wrote it from the point of view of a cod. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> how a fish viewed this dispute. <laughs> I just love it. Like he's like looking at things from, you know, the unexpected point. Yeah. 
Um, so he graduates from Harvard and has a bunch of jobs, most of them writing, um, a lot, a lot of, uh, doing play reviews, you know, like on Broadway and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he worked, spent a lot of time at, um, Vanity Fair and Life Magazine. He liked to joke that he was lazy. According to a legend, he submitted a magazine piece titled, I Like to Loaf. Uh, he submitted it two weeks after the deadline and his explanatory note was, I was loafing. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Like, this is, you know, um, James Thurber was a big fan. James Thurber wrote Walter Mitty. He is from Ohio for our Ohio listeners. Maybe uh, that's why we don't have Ohio listeners. We haven't, we haven't mentioned James Thurber, as many Ohio fun facts as we can. Here's your Ohio fun fact for this episode. Um, his reviews were known for their flair, and he, but he often, this is why I really liked him, he often used his reviews as a soapbox for issues that concerned him. Some of these issues were, like, petty issues that I totally get, like, people who cough during plays. Like, apparently, he would write entire reviews about, like, I saw this play, but also this guy wouldn't stop coughing, and that's really obnoxious. But also would write reviews about things that were important to him, like racial tolerance. Like he would, in the middle of a review, talk about why it's important for like racial um, desegregation and tolerance and that kind of stuff. Um, So his big break was this thing called the Treasurer's Report, where it was this big play full of like all kinds of big names. And then he kind of came on stage and did like a two minute bit where he was a treasurer for this company and he was like really nervous. And so he like never got to the report, I think. I couldn't find a video of it. But as a result of that, it was like the biggest hit of the play. Um, Irving Berlin paid him $500 a week to perform it for a year every night. Wow. Every night for a year, he got to perform that. So that like jumps him into some Hollywood stuff. Um, And he makes a few talkies. He's really famous for his shorts, like his short films. Hmm. Then he begins to work for The New Yorker, which is where he gains a lot of his experience. Um, So this is my favorite. He is commissioned by the Mellon Institute in Pittsburgh, like Carnegie Mellon, in conjunction with Simmons Mattress Company. They commission him to make a short documentary about how to sleep. And he takes it and really runs with it and turns it into kind of like one of the world's first like mockumentaries or um, one of the things I read called it a faux two guide, like F-A-U-X faux two guide. Um, And so it's, he wrote it and so he narrates it, but he's also narrating himself. Hmm. So you can see him like acting out all these things. It was one of the three shorts that opened for the Marx Brothers for if you went to go see a day at the races or a night at the opera, you would see a couple shorts ahead of time. And that was one of them. It won an Oscar for mm-hmm. best short in 1935. Um, can you guess who was not happy with that film? Is it a person or a company? It's a company. Um, uh, the mattress company? Yeah. <laughs> so that the short was uh, commissioned by the Mellon Institute in conjunction with Simmons Mattress Company, and they were not happy that what he returned with was definitely like making fun of. Um, I mean, the assignment was stupid. How does not? Sleep? I assumed I assumed that was a joke in itself. Right. Like, right. I assumed that somebody was like, "He's a really funny guy." It's kind of like like the, the Old Spice commercials or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like, satire on the the whole brand itself but like people remember it yeah it's 
no. Like, they wanted him to do a legit, like, how to sleep and, like, I guess work the mattresses in. The short is only 10 minutes long, mm-hmm. um, and it's great. Like, there's some really funny humor in it. Um, yeah, we'll share the link on Facebook uh, and Twitter. It's worth it. It's definitely worth watching. If you like that kind of humor, Natalie and I grew up on Marx Brothers and Mystery Science Theater and that kind of yeah. stuff. And it's right. I mean, once I found out that it was an opening for two Marx Brothers movies, I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense now. Um, I like that. So, yeah, that's Robert Benchley. I, again, when I first watched this movie, I was like, I don't like this guy. He needs to grow up. But then, the more I read about him, I was like, this guy's hilarious. And I really appreciate his sense of humor and probably what he did for humor um, yeah. for a lot, for a lot of people. So. One thing that's in this movie is that once Robert Benchley arrives on the studio, he gets assigned a guide mm-hmm. who I think is the original Kenneth the Page from 30 Rock. Yeah, definitely. So he takes his job very seriously to the point of being very annoying. And so that's how Benchley escapes and goes and visits all of these studios. Well, and the employees are like helping him avoid the guy. Yeah, they know. Yeah. (laughs) They know how annoying he is. Um, So after he ditches them, he... There's, like, some weird things where he's he's married. We know he's married. Yeah. And he's, like, always, like, trying to find pretty women. Yeah. Um, and so he, like, he can hear an art class happening, and the instructor is, like, you know, really capture her curves, you know, really pay attention, you know. And you can see what he's thinking. Um, and then you walk in, and it's an elephant. Yeah. Um, because they're sketching for Dumbo. Um, there was some racism in this scene. So after, after the elephant art class, he goes into this like sound stage where there's an orchestra. Um, and there's a woman walks up and she's wearing this like very nice fur and she walks, the orchestra is playing and she walks up to the mic and she looks really, really important. And then she clucks like a chicken for like two minutes. She has 20 years of playing hens yeah. um, in her experience. It's her claim to fame. And she's really convincing chicken. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's really entertaining. Yeah. Um, but then she's joined by the guy that was sitting next to Robert Benchley, who also turns out to be the voice of Donald Duck. Mm-hmm. So then they have this like chicken duck fowl conversation. Um, I wrote in my notes during the chicken and duck duet. Uh, shout out to Deborah, my upstairs neighbor, who has um, had to hear me listen to this scene twice now. Yes, <laughs> loud. I, will, I will say that was the scene where I got super self-conscious and was listening for people to be outside the hallway, outside of my apartment, um, to just hear what was happening on my computer, I mean, my TV, and yeah. And then after that, he goes into the sound effects room, and he meets a woman who starts to become his guide. So they get to see, he gets to see all of the sound effects and that kind of stuff. Um, They do, their big short for this scene is Casey Jones, the train making its way. And it's really cool though to see all the machines behind the sound of a train, um, especially when we watch Dumbo next week. Um, But there's like, you know, a regular, there's the regular instruments that you would probably expect, but then there's like 
a cello making some training sounds, a bell, um, some water hoses, like gears that they're turning that have things attached to them, um, an old-fashioned lawnmower, like the motorless lawnmower is one of the things that they're using. I saw a banjo in there, um, which I'm always a fan of. So it's just cool to think about, to see um, all of the everyday items that they are using to make sounds. Mm -hmm. They go into the coloring room where that you see um, all the work that goes behind creating the perfect color when they're illust or when they're coloring all of their cartoons. Um, then they go to the model room. I thought this was cool. You get to see all the things that they. Natalie is so done with me right now. Um, I take really a boring movie. I, I thought it was neat. Okay, so they, you get to see all the models that they used to make, like, all the clocks in yeah. Pinocchio in that scene, and all the centaurs. Um, baby Weems, did you have any reactions to Baby Weems? But it would not have passed the storyboard test if I were in charge. It was so whack. I thought the baby was going to die. I didn't. Do you I, want to say what it's about? It's Boss Baby, except Boss Baby gets a fever. And he's Boss Baby? Well, like, Boss Baby is now a series on Netflix, and so, yes, I've seen a few episodes. When I babysit. Oh, okay. Not because, like, the quarantine report. No. Okay. Um, yeah, it's this baby, Baby Weems, is basically Boss Baby, but, yeah, um, comes out of the womb, can talk, but also is just really smart, and so it's just a worldwide hit. Um, so much so that his parents just don't get access to him. Um, like, they show... The doctors all reacting to the baby talking. And then the next scene is the mom just in her hospital bed asking when she can see her child. And the nurse is just like, no, you can't. And doesn't give any real reason why. Um, and so they like show all these newspapers like going crazy about it. And the parents just like kind of having visiting hours with the baby even maybe. Um, but then the baby gets sick um, and the world is distraught. And when the baby gets better, baby can only goo gook and gaga and can't use real words and so the parents get to take the baby home at that point um the whole point of this was to demonstrate that this group of people was coming up with a storyboard to like present to walt and the head people um for a disney movie i thought you were trying to say what the moral of the story was no there's no moral in it um and yeah it would yeah babies are normally dumb yeah it was it was a dumb story i'm glad that who got did dreamworks get boss baby i'm glad that whoever got it you know the right studio found it so then this is the scene this next scene is the one that makes way more sense or at least it's funnier to me because i know robert benchley's history because you know robert benchley because i know him so he goes into like an animation room um and so you huh i know you're yeah. Right. yeah so they show um goofy as the short for the scene but it's how to ride a horse and then it's the same style there's a narrator and then you see the subject like trying the things the narrator's saying um and so I feel like that's a bit of humor that is missed if you don't know the Robert Benchley. Like, to me, when I watched it the first time, I was like, this seems like a weird short to put in. Like, I, I don't know, it's goofy trying to get on a horse. Um, but once I knew the Robert Benchley history and, like, how to sleep, 
was like, oh, this is like a tongue-in-cheek, like, kind of moment. Yeah. And then he finally meets Walt Disney. Um, but Disney is totally okay with Robert Benchley being there and pitching a book. Again, I was really, like, this whole idea of his wife being, like, at the very beginning of the movie, you should pitch this book to Walt Disney. And even he's like, I, you can't just pitch a book to Walt Disney. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I'll put him on this. And then he gets to the Disney studios and they run into the security guard, who's also like, you can't just come in here. But then all of a sudden he produces a pass. Well, I was also wondering about that because um, if Disney is staging this as like to show how the Disney process works, was this not encouraging people to also just show yeah. up to the lot and say, I saw Benchley do this. Here's hey, the that I had. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he runs into Disney. Did you notice how Disney was sitting? Yes, I did. And that was weird. It was weird. Yeah. I don't even know how to describe it, but he's like. He's sitting how awkward kids do in like is. grade when they're I reading. I think I sat in my desk like that in second grade. Like he's. Got one leg on the floor, but then one kind of pulled up like a flamingo. Yeah. <laughs> this is a grown man. Yeah. Who's sitting weird. Yeah. Um, but then there's this, like, you know, he's, this whole movie has been building up to Benchley pitching this book, The Reluctant Dragon. Mm-hmm. And he walks into the room and Disney's like, yeah, 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 totally hear your pitch. But first we're going to screen this new movie. And then he's like, yeah, I'll watch that. And then it turns into that being the reluctant dragon. So they've already made it into a movie, which I loved. I loved the reluctant dragon. Oh, I thought you mean you loved that concept. And I was like, no, no, no. no. I loved the movie. Like, I I did too. I, um, no, I loved the reluctant dragon as a character. Um, How would you describe him? um, Not reluctant, just kind of. Uh, kind of bashful, very artsy. Interested uh, in other things. Other free than spirit. Free spirit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think if you don't want to watch this whole movie, I think you should fast forward 75% through the movie just to watch The Reluctant Dragon short because it's very cute. It's funny. It's funny. Um, yeah. It's so good. And then the ending's like really abrupt. The cartoon ends and then they are... I think he's like back in the car already with his wife. Well, and then and so then he ends with a Donald Duck impression that he learned during his day, and that is the reluctant dragon. Um, and so source citing time this week, I used Wikipedia as always and Amino. Um, I also used Wikipedia. Um, I I also used an article from HarvardMagazine.com. Um, I used IMDb as a source and tvtropes.org. Sarah's favorite scene, not mine, um, was the... What was her favorite scene? I don't know. Um, the, the scene where he's shooting ducks in the pool and the woman's reading to him. Wow, that's like in the first minute, so you must have hated the rest of the movie. <laughs> I didn't hate it. It was just It's no Fantasia, okay? It was way more entertaining than Fantasia. Anyway, um <laughs> So I think we both did like the sound rooms. Um there was both the orchestra and the voice actors. 
And then there was the room with the Foley artists um, doing more of the sound effect um, parts. And so we came up with uh, two games to play. So in the orchestra scene, eventually it goes up after the performance to talk to the voices of Donald Duck and the chicken lady. And he asks, how do you, how do you make those noises? And so the Donald Duck guy says, well, I just put a pocket of air in my cheek and then I think like a duck and say it. Um, and so there's like this back and forth of him trying it and him saying like, oh, you're not thinking like a duck. And then eventually he does it. Um, and every time I watch anything that has anything like just an accent, a slight accent, I almost always find myself pausing it or just like under my breath repeating what just happened <laughs> as if I'm brick from the middle. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it really annoys some of my friends when I do it. I've never, I've never seen you do that. Um, I went through like a Love Island UK phase. Um, and there's a lot of people from the UK and they all have different like regional accents. You yeah. can pick up more on that than you can like on other shows where they're all like using the same accent. Do Hot to, to Handle does that too. Yeah. Too yeah. Hot to handle. yeah. Um, and so I went through a phase while I was watching that where I would just like practice the different regional accents and it's never good. But anyway, I found myself doing that for the Donald Duck thing and Sarah is worse than I am at things like that. And so I'm sure she was also trying to do the Donald Duck voice. Oh, I thought you meant, like, impressions. <laughs> no, no, I meant, like... Oh, yeah, I was totally, I paused in, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> so, when I watched it today, I texted Sarah and said we should come up with um, a sentence for the other person to say in their best Donald Duck voice. I have really not practiced that much. I haven't either. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you want me to give you my sentence for you first? Sure. Do you want me to just text it to you? Yeah. Okay. I just texted you the sentence that I came up with. Okay, so I'm going to say it first as Donald Duck so that the listeners will, in their own ears, have to figure out what I'm saying. I'm going to watch your technique because I don't really have one. Okay, so you put a pocket of air in your cheek, but you don't talk out of this. I, whenever I do it, I just talk out of the side of my mouth so I have to focus on the air being there and not just like moving my lips to be on the side of my mouth. <laughs> I feel like I need I'm gonna mute myself really quickly okay so I, I did half of it uh, I think that's enough uh, for practice um, I might have to stop hopping through because the way that I do it uh, saliva just collects in the front of my mouth um, which is probably wrong <laughs> I did that <laughs> sorry start over <laughs> I sound like a demon in a scary movie and not. <clears throat> yeah, that's terrifying. That's it. And what was it supposed to be? <clears throat> Pinocchio is way scarier than Snow White, and I should have rated it as a scarier movie. Okay, so <sighs> how did you do that? I put a pocket of air in my cheek, and then I think like a duck. <laughs> You're the worst. All right, are you ready for your phrase? Yeah, text me your phrase. <laughs> okay, I'm going to mute myself. <laughs> oh, man, this is bad. 
This is terrifying. I mean, it sounds like I'm a demon. Okay. <laughs> That's all I got. Were you saying the sentence I gave you or the one you gave me? <laughs> the one you gave me. Hmm. And that was, I was the one who wrote all the H's. It's so hard. I don't, I don't know. I don't have a pocket of air. Since around the time the quarantine started, my friends and I had been practicing um, voice tricks. Um, and today I got back into practicing one of them. This one is my, one that my friend Aaron is really good at. Um, and so here it is. And let me know, does this sound like I'm somebody stuck in a box who wants to get out? <laughs> Mickey Mouse. Does it sound like I'm in a box though? Aaron's really good at it. I don't know. Let me hear it one more time, please. Okay, let me see if I can do that. That was good. I've been practicing that a lot <laughs> in my life. Like, really? Yeah, like talking with like full cheeks. Yeah. Which I understand is exactly what the Donald Duck guy said. If you practice your Donald Duck voices and send us what you've got, we will find out how to use technology and play it on the podcast. So the other sound room is the Foley Artist sound room, um, which are just like the common sound effects. Um, it's the people who make the sound for uh, doors that creak or footsteps walking into a room. Um, so we texted earlier today and each of us has a sound effect we have prepared and the other person is going to guess what sound it is. I didn't realize that. What? <laughs> You're going to guess it. Okay. Oh. It's going to be the best sound effect you've ever heard. It's going to affect you. I'm going first. Okay. Well, I think you probably can't see me, right? Like I should turn off my video. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Here is my... Holy sound effect. Okay, is it done? Yeah. Okay. Is it a cow eating grass? <laughs> is it? <laughs> no. Oh. It's it's a it's a summer rainstorm. <clears throat> Okay, so every time you did it, it was really loud in the beginning as if like, something was tearing off and then it got quieter as if it was just chewing. I can't wait to hear this playback because to me, I was really actually pleasantly surprised with what it sounded like because that's the first time I tried it. Just then? Yeah. I got a package in the mail today and I was like, I bet that makes a noise. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I gathered. Because at first I was going to do the, um, the camp I had that thought, yeah. And then I got this package and I was like, there's my rainstorm right there. Oh, I'm sorry. We had to unpack again. You thought it was a cow? Why? Really God. specific. Cows eat in cartoons sometimes more okay. than other. All right, you ready? <laughs> Is it a crackling fire? Yes! 
really barely heard anything. It's a crackling fire. They're not that loud. That's true. So I, I used chocolate chips and um, chip clip bag, and then also my mouth for the big crackles. I think all I heard were probably the big crackles. <laughs> um, I used two different kinds of plastic bag. This kind. And this kind. Ta-da! Wow. I think, um, you know, I really like doing what I do for a living, love my church, um, love my congregation. But if the Foley artists want to hire us, I think we're free, right? Big money in sound effects and plastic bag rattling. Mm -hmm. And the two sounds we made um, are definitely sounds that no Foley artist has ever endeavored to try to recreate. Yeah, no, they've, for years, they've been like, oh my gosh, a, a summer storm. Who can ever try to do that? It's impossible. Unattainable. That's why in Bambi, it's just a song. Drip, drip, drop. The artist said, no. Mm -mm. We can't do it. Orchestra has to do it. Other sound room. Bye. We can't do it. We just can't do it. Yeah. So uh, you're welcome, Disney and future, like, radio and cartoons. Um, the Wolf Sisters got it down. Well, time for my scary scale. I think I'm making a Donald Duck sound. <laughs> my scary scale. Something really scary. My scary skill for the reluctant dragon is one. Why? It's not scary. Is your skill? I'm sorry. Is your skill one out of ten? Yeah. That zero was the first number. Mm -mm. I thought I was like, oh, there must have been something scary that I missed. I guess some of the dragon stuff can be scary. Yeah. Um, there was some like anxiety stuff in the Casey Jones train. Yeah. Guns. There are guns in the movie. There were some guns. Racism is scary. The racism. There was some racism for sure. Um, so I was thinking for our outro or whatever we're going to end this episode with, um, Natalie, you might talk about our next movie, which is Dumbo, um, in your very good Donald Duck voice. I'm not doing that. Okay. That's fair. I'll talk about it, but not I'll talk, it'll be in my Natalie voice. Okay. You can use your boring voice if you want. Okay. Um, well, first we have to do our favorite movie ranking. Mm. So every week to end our show, we um, take the movie that we just watched and compare it with the movie that has been our favorite so far of all of the previous movies we've watched from Disney in this podcast um, and decide between those two which one is our favorite and if science and math works at the end of this, we should know the best Disney movie. Um, so far, I think it's been a pretty easy task to accomplish. Um, and I have my, my hunch is, is that it will be easy again this week. Um, as of last week's Fantasia episode, Pinocchio is the reigning champ um, for both of us between the first three Disney movies. Um, so today we are both ranking Pinocchio versus The Reluctant Dragon. Um, for me, Pinocchio is still standing strong against The Reluctant Dragon. Sarah, you are making faces, and I'm concerned that you're about to ditch Pinocchio. I am ditching Pinocchio. Wow. I think my deep dive into Robert Benchley helped. Um, you can roll your eyes all you want. Um, nobody can hear it because there's no sound effect for that. What? Um, 
That's a rolling eyes on that. So, uh, I don't know. I liked it. Like, uh, I liked the behind the scenes look. I liked the humor for the most part, other than like some mild racism and sexism, um, which I feel weird saying that I'm willing to overlook that. But so far that's existed in every movie we've watched. Um, but I don't know. I just liked it. It was, to me, this was more entertaining than like Pinocchio. I spent so much time going, what is happening? Why is Pinocchio? Is that not entertainment? Not what I would choose. Okay. Yeah. Also, this movie is one hour and 14 minutes long. Pinocchio is seven hours long. And what's the moral of Reluctant Dragon? Um, don't be reluctant. Fight. I was thinking more for the whole movie, and I was going to say keep up with your stuff. There's more than meets the eye. It's like backstage stuff. It wasn't all visual, though. Anyway. Um, so next week we are doing Dumbo, um, which was one of my favorites as a kid. Um, again, I think just anything with an animal I liked, um, but I remember it being a very emotional movie and also kind of scary. Um, and we are going to have a special guest on who is our father. Um, we have told him to just research the circus. We've kept it wide open. We're not sure what he's coming back with, but we do know he's done some of the research because during our weekly family quarantine Zoom time for the past three weeks, he has tried. He has tried so hard, and every time he says, "Is now the time when I get to talk about the circus?" <laughs> and we have to reassure him that we will make it clear when we are recording the podcast. Versus, which to be fair, the first time they were on the podcast, we did kind of bombard them into yeah. a call and then made them record a podcast. So. Yeah. Oh, okay um so anyway it should be good um but also dumb is just i'm excited to watch dumbo again i'm not okay well but it's fine after dumbo's done i don't even know what's next after that probably lion king who knows <laughs> and that was a joke please don't email us about that <laughs> uh but please do email us um wolf disney podcast at gmail.com that's wolf with no e just w-o-l-f like the animal you know the rest disney podcast follow us on instagram and twitter and facebook all of those are under wolf disney pod tell Um, your friends yeah tell your friends but tell them in a donald duck voice your best well that we probably wouldn't get listeners that way don't do that never mind so we'll see you next week for dumbo yes we will this has been wolf disney thanks for listening our theme song is lamb and wolf by poddington bear see you next week Okay, Sarah, (laughs) tell the listeners what we just realized happened. In my defense, I did not know you were being sarcastic. And so I'm crying right now. So we did our sound effects. I didn't know where the microphone was on my computer. And you said it's near your mouse. I thought you said it's in your mouse. And the computer. I thought that was really weird. But I did all my snippets next to my mouse. Which, once I moved to the mouse, you nodded and you were like, yeah, I can hear that. So I heard you say, like, I don't know about that, but I'll try it. And I thought you were responding to a Google result you got. No, I was responding to your mouse thing. And Natalie's with the mouse thing because she keeps complaining about how loud my mouse is because I don't use the mouse pad.
Um, so she was making a joke that I did not catch. <laughs> I still don't know where the microphone is on my computer. And that's why you heard a cow. Thank you.